Hello and welcome to another episode of the Giants of the Faith podcast. My name is Robert Daniels and I'm the host of this show. This is the podcast where we focus on individuals from the age of the church who've lived out their faith in a unique or interesting way. These are people who are giants in the history of Christendom, and each has earned a spot in my personal Christian Hall of Fame. In this episode, we're looking at the life of George Wishart, the early Scottish reformer and predecessor to John Knox. George Wishart was born, well, we aren't sure, but it was probably sometime in 1513 in the Mearns on the east coast of Scotland. His father was James and his mother Elizabeth. After his father died in 1525, he was in the care of his mother and his uncle, Sir James Learmont. His family was of the nobility, and so Wishart received a good education. He graduated from the University of Leven in 1531 and spent some time traveling the continent, where he was exposed to, and agreed with, the teachings of the Reformers. In 1534, he returned to Scotland to teach Greek at Montrose. He brought with him several copies of Erasmus's Greek New Testament, which he distributed to his students. This did not make the local bishop, a man named John Hepburn, very happy, and he summoned Wishart to appear at his diocesan court. Wishart was accused of heresy, and he fled to England, to Cambridge. In England, he was appointed by Hugh Latimer, who we may cover in a future episode, as a reader or lecturer, and in May 1539, Wishart took up his position in Bristol. While there, he apparently preached that Christ could not, and had not, merited salvation for men. It was a striking heresy, and not just against the practices of the Roman Catholics, but against the clear teaching of the Bible. He was saying that Christ's death was an example, but not a propitiation. For this, he was accused of heresy once again, and this time he was taken to trial. At the trial, he admitted and he recanted of his heresy. His life was spared, and he was sentenced to carrying a faggot around St. Nicholas's church as a method of shaming him for his crime. It was supposed to be like Christ carrying his own cross to his execution. Wishart had to carry the wood that would be used to burn him alive. Only the actual execution was never carried out. Wishart had a bit of a defiant streak, and he refused to carry the faggot all the way back to where his trek had begun, instead tossing it the last few feet. For his insolence, he was forced to carry the faggot twice more. Wishart left England for Switzerland, where he stayed for a couple of years studying in the Reformed Swiss Church, led by Henry Bullinger. He translated the first Helvetic Confession into English, and in Switzerland his faith and his understanding grew, and he came to rely on the Word of God as the true source of knowledge about the Christian faith. He returned to Cambridge in 1542 as a student and a tutor at Corpus Christi College. What he did there is largely unknown, but a year later, in 1543, he was back in Scotland. He returned to Montrose and began his itinerant preaching ministry in a house near the church there. From Montrose, he traveled to Dundee and taught from Romans and the Ten Commandments using the common tongue. The governor of the district, along with Cardinal David Beaton, ordered him to cease his preaching and forced him to head west for Angus. Wishart stayed in the West Country preaching the Reformed Gospel and converting people in the fields and on the dikes. He said, Christ Jesus is as potent upon the fields as in the church, and that's where his ministry was. But then plague broke out in Dundee, and he returned to comfort the populace there, but also to preach to them. He said, They are now in troubles and need comfort, 
Perhaps this hand of God will make them now to magnify and reverence the word of God, which before they lightly esteemed. He preached from the east port gate to the sick outside the walls and to the healthy within. Now Cardinal Beaton was none too happy with this development. He employed a priest from Dundee, a man named John Whiten, to assassinate Wishart. One fateful day, Wishart was preaching to a large crowd. As the sermon ended and the crowd dispersed, Whiten approached him with a dagger hidden in the folds of his robe. Wishart saw what was happening and grabbed Whiten by the arm, wrestling the knife from him. The few people left raised the alarm and a crowd burst into the church looking for blood. Whiten dropped to his knees and begged for mercy, while Wishart shielded him from the crowd with his own body. He ultimately saved Whiten's life, but knew he had to move on. Wishart left Dundee to meet with evangelical leaders out west, with the idea of forming a sort of coalition and also meeting with the Catholic bishops in debate. It is here where John Knox briefly enters Wishart's story. Knox volunteered to be Wishart's bodyguard. Knox carried a two-handed sword and he was devoted to Wishart's cause and the Reformation. But, fearing that he would soon die, Wishart would not allow Knox to accompany him and lose his own life in the process. Wishart said, I know assuredly my travel is nigh an end, neither shall this be long in doing. And Wishart was right. He stopped in Montrose, where another attempt on his life was made, but he was able to evade the horsemen that the cardinal had sent after him. But one night at Ormiston, the Earl of Bothwell and his troops surrounded the house where Wishart was sleeping. Bothwell promised to give Wishart safe passage, saying, I promise also in the presence of these gentlemen that neither the governor nor the cardinal shall have their will over you, but I shall retain you in my own hands and in my own place, till that either I shall make you free or else restore you in the same place where I receive you. But he was a liar. Bothwell imprisoned Wishart before delivering him to the cardinal. On March 1st, 1546, Wishart was put on trial again for heresy. He faced 18 charges, ranging from disobeying the governor, to teaching a false baptism, to ignoring the sacraments. When Wishart was asked to answer the charges, one of the attendants had him silenced. If we give him license to preach, they said, he is so crafty, and in the Holy Scriptures so exercised, that he will persuade the people to his opinion, and raise them against us. In the end, it would have mattered little. His guilt was a foregone conclusion. Wishart was condemned and taken immediately for execution. He was tied to the stake, and the wood was piled around him. The cardinal had artillery and soldiers in place to prevent escape or rescue. The executioner asked for his forgiveness, and Wishart granted it. Wishart's final words to the Scottish people were, I beseech you, Christian brethren and sisters, that ye not be offended at the word of God, for the affliction and torments which you see already prepared for me. But I exhort you that you love the word of God, your salvation, and suffer patiently and with a comfortable heart for the word's sake, which is your undoubted salvation and everlasting comfort. And at that the fire was lit. As the flames reached his body, the executioner pulled tight a rope around Wishart's neck and killed him before the flames could. He died praying to his God, O thou Savior of the world, have mercy upon me. Father of heaven, I commend my spirit into thy holy hands. But that's not quite the end of the story. Wishart's friends planned a reckoning, and on May 29th, they carried it out. 
16 men gathered at a home near St. Andrew's Castle the night before. When the castle gate opened the next morning, 12 of them, led by Kirkaldi of Grange, entered the castle disguised as workmen there to work on the fortifications. The other four men, led by Norman Leslie, followed. They waited until the cardinal's mistress, Marion Ogilvie, left the castle, and then they approached the drawbridge. Kirkaldi's men tried to distract the porter so that Leslie's group could enter unnoticed. But the porter grew suspicious, and he tried to raise the drawbridge and sound the alarm. Kirkaldi's men were having none of it, however, and they threw him into the moat. The men shooed about fifty inhabitants out of the castle. But by this time, the cardinal was aware that something was happening. He stuck his head out of his window, and he asked what was going on. Someone cried out that Norman Leslie had taken over the castle. At that, Beaton and a page barricaded his door, and they locked themselves in. Leslie ordered Beaton to open the door, but he refused, so the conspirators started a fire to smoke the cardinal out. Beaton then pleaded for his life. When Leslie promised that they wouldn't kill him, the cardinal opened the door. I am a priest! I am a priest! You will not slay me! he cried. But Leslie stabbed him twice with his dagger. Another man, Peter Carmichael, stabbed him as well. A third, James Melville, pulled the men back and reminded them, that God's justice was to be done calmly. It was to be an execution, not a murder. And so he drew his sword, ran the cardinal through, and killed him. The men hung the cardinal's body outside the window for all to see. One man urinated in Beaton's corpse's mouth. Eventually, the body was salted and tossed in the dungeon where Wishard had been kept. John Knox soon joined the conspirators at St. Andrews and served as their chaplain and we'll pick up Knox's story in an upcoming episode. And that's all for this episode of Giants of the Faith. I hope you've enjoyed this look at the Reformers and the Reformation. If you like what you're hearing, and you use an iPhone or an iPad to listen in Apple Podcasts, would you mind giving the show a five-star rating and a review? I'd really appreciate it. If you have any suggestions for improving the show, shoot me an email to podcast at giantsofthefaith.com. I'd love to hear your feedback. Until next time, God bless. God bless.